Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. Joining us on the podcast today are the legendary Professor Sue Black and Simon Schofield. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Before we start, um, Sue, you were awarded an OBE for services to technology in 2016 Queen's New Year Honours List. And you're now a professor of computer science in Durham University. You've started as well as supported many different courses. But your journey, as we understood it, is anything but traditional. Can we travel back in time a little bit and you can share your story with our listeners? Sure. Well, so, yes, you're right. I um I guess particularly for a professor, I didn't have a traditional start in that I left school at 16. Um, so um, I, I come from like an average family. Unfortunately, my mum died when I was 12 and my family sort of turned into a dysfunctional family. So I left home as soon as I could. So I left home at 16, left school at 16 and didn't really go back into education until I was about 26 or 27, I think. And by that time, well, I... I I'd got married when I was 20 and by 23 I had three children because um, I had my daughter and then I thought well I'll have another baby then I'll go back to work that turned out to be twin boys um, so at 23 I had a, a you know like a two-year-old daughter and, and baby boys um, and then unfortunately after that my marriage broke down so I ended up in a women's refuge for six months and I guess going back into education was really my way of trying to create a better life for my kids really I was living on uh, welfare in the UK and um, I thought well like um, as a single parent I need to to try and earn some money to look after my kids but what I realized was because I'd left school at 16 with not many qualifications I'd be on minimum wage and so actually I wouldn't even be able to pay for childcare for the kids so I realized quite quickly that going back to work just wasn't an option for me so then I thought about going back into studying and I you know I hadn't actually wanted to leave school at 16 it just been my home circumstances. So I contacted the local college. Um, maths was my favourite subject at school. So I knew that I wanted to study maths if possible. Um, and I went along to the local college. They luckily had like a fast track maths course, which gave you the equivalent of um, two A-levels in maths. So enough to get university entrance. Um, and so I did that course. It was like two evenings a week uh, in college and uh, 20 hours private study at home. So I did that course and that meant that you know, I passed that and that meant that I got the qualifications so I could apply to university, which I did, um, studied computer science. Um, so I did a degree in computing, four-year degree, uh, and then went on and did a PhD and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> a few years later, here I am, I'm a professor. <laughs> Quite a few years later. <laughs> And not just a professor, right? Um, An amazing yeah. <laughs> professor that is oh, that is inspiring people around the world. Professor, that okay. kind of thing. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes, I was I was joking with Brad um, last week when we were saying, oh, you know, we're going to have Simon and Sue on the show, and um, and he was he was teasing me because I remember the time when we actually took a selfie together in London. I was like, oh my god, I'm starstruck, and <laughs> I think I still am. I can't believe you're oh. here with us. Well, but thank, thank you. you. And Simon, let's talk about your background. Um, you're an ambassador for Tech Up Women, uh, an initiative created by Professor Sue Black aimed at improving the diversity within technology. So talk about that program a bit and kind of how you came to it. 
Sure. So I think, you know, we quickly talked about it beforehand. It was probably a little bit of fate that I met Sue and the, the team at Tech at Women. But I think um, I, you know, just was really amazed with the work they were doing. I wanted to sort of help out in the diversity space. And it just seemed like a natural fit. That's sort of accidentally how I got involved. But I think the program really tries and addresses, I think, a part of the diversity problem, which is sort of can you hire women into technology roles? And I think you know, that, that standard response that we hear, you know, I'd love to hire a woman, but we never see any good candidates. I think that's the problem we are just trying to address, square in the, square in the face and, and just never hear it again. So how does Tech at Women work? Well, it's a six-month training program, and it takes women from, I'd say, a very diverse set of backgrounds, really focusing on the sort of the underrepresented groups. So in particular, you know, I think on our first training course, we had 54% women of color, uh, you know, lots of other groups with, you know, women with dependents and disabilities. Um, so, you know, really trying to, I think, take a broad and diverse set of women and really give them what we call an alternative pathway into the tech industry. I think, look, you know, I'm very fortunate, you know, I, I followed Sue's path, you know, PhD in computer science. It's all really easy, it's all very linear, but the world isn't like that, right? Um, and that's why Tech at Women exists. So look, it, it provides six months of technical training, but I think there's a lot more that it does. And I think one of the things that really attracted to me, and we talked about at the beginning, what is say yes to Sue, um, I think it's the confidence and ambition that the course really helps foster within the women. So I think technical training is great, but if you know if you add in confidence and ambition, it's amazing what can happen and, and what you can see those women go on to do and their career aspirations. So we're very fortunate. We got funded by uh, the UK government. Um, so we ran the first cohort um, of women and we've seen the vast majority of them graduate and go on to do really super and exciting things. Um, what we're currently doing now is looking to partner up with corporate sponsors, really just to provide the funds to allow us to train uh, further sets of women. So I think in a nutshell, um, you know, that's the simplicity of tech at women. Well, it sounds simple, but it's anything but, right? And I love the fact that you guys are focusing on providing an, an alternative pathway to tech because far too often we place so much emphasis on a four-year degree, um, you know, the traditional way and structure of learning. And we forgot the fact that not everyone have access to it. So, and, and I think to be able to, to solve um, the fact that we don't have enough women in, in tech or people claim that they cannot find enough women in tech. Um, I think it's it's a good route to go. We have some good friends and speakers that were in the show before um, that are focusing on this. So so we love that and kudos to you both for that. Um, let's talk about one of the hot topics of late when we're talking about diversity um, is AI and bias. So there is, I think we can all agree that there it, we don't lack awareness of the fact that there is bias and it needs to be solved. There are many brilliant people everywhere in the world that has been looking at it, but yet the bias in technology is still very much prevalent. We hear about it with voice assistance, with facial recognition. Um, males, again, are drastically overrepresented in both STEM education cohorts as well as career, like to, to your point. This is not new. It's been going on for a while now. What can we do to truly, truly move the needle so that hopefully comes 2021, we can have some better news? 
<laughs> well, that, that's not a simple uh, issue, uh, as I know that you know. Um, I've just set up a, a group at Durham focused exactly on this, and I've got a PhD student, one PhD student so far looking for some more uh, to look at this issue. Um, and we're keen to bring together industry, academia and government to solve real, real world problems. I think the thing is, you know, my, my background now is software engineering. And so, you know, I know from looking at software over the years that and, and you know, the people that are creating it. And if you think of all the software products that we've got kind of all around us and the fact that we're just, you know, we're human beings and we've all got bias. Right. So some of that's unconscious and sometimes it's conscious. Um, and so if you have people creating software who all come from very similar background, um, which quite a lot of the time is what happens, um, then of course there's going to be unconscious bias in there as, as part of that software that's being created. And if you're then not using very diverse groups of people to test that software. So, so to start with, the, gr the group of people creating the software is not diverse. And then you don't have a diverse group of people testing it either you know, that software is only going to be fit for purpose for a certain demographic demographic of people. And that's probably the same demographic as the people that created it in the first place. So we need to, even as a first step, try to ensure that all of our um, teams of people creating software, and so, you know, so AI, AI software, um, are diverse in many different ways to start with. And even if you can't manage to do that, then you're testing your software with diverse groups of people. Um, you know, and I think that's just a kind of first step in the right direction, really. It's not a simple um, problem because it's, you know, it's kind of human behavior and it's a lot of it's unconscious. So, you know, it's not like we can just kind of like route it out, find it and quickly solve it. It's not a very simple problem. It's a very complex problem. Um, and so, you know, it's not like we can just follow uh, ABC, let's just do this, and then we know it will be unbiased. We probably can't actually get to the state. It's almost impossible to have unbiased software because we're biased ourselves. Um, but we can take steps to, to try and mitigate that and to be aware of it. And um, so I think, you know, as a first step, focusing on the teams creating the software, the people testing the software, I think that's a first step that all organisations can take to make sure that they're um, software is as unbiased as possible and I'm sure after that there are many other things that can be done. Yeah I mean this this is a big problem what's really surprising in this space is just how much it costs to actually do a proper AI training so I think you know you've heard of uh, GPT-3 which is sort of the darling in the industry I think it's got like 175 billion parameters I mean this thing costs multi-millions to train right so I think all we're really saying is look as part of that massive spend you know, just have a more diverse input and a more diverse QA. Uh, and as Sue says, look, you know, nothing can ever be 100% perfect because human beings are not, but it can certainly be more representative. Well, it's been interesting. My um, PhD student started working on GPT-2 uh, recently. And, you know, we thought when she started working that, you know, we'd have to kind of work hard to try and find the bias. But in fact, it took about a minute <laughs> to find some bias, unfortunately, because if you just ask GPT-2 questions, uh, you know, like if you put in a phrase like um, women can, men can, you, straight away, you're, you're going to get some bias there from the first few answers. You know, and so there are issues around how GPT-2 was created and, and the fact that for example, Reddit was used um, as the kind of source, some of the main source uh, for GPT-2, 
you know, so Reddit might seem like a, a unbiased place to, to some groups of people, but it definitely doesn't to me. Um, and, you know, I just think that more thinking should have been done about this kind of things. It's not it's not rocket science, right? It's not rocket science. It's not difficult. So I'm not sure how these, you know, obviously smart people that put these things together. How could they not have thought about these things? I don't actually know the answer to that question. But so I, I would agree. I mean, even some of the big tech firms you think would be really good at this. So the Googles and Amazons, they've fallen foul of it. There's plenty of examples of them messing up in this space too. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think we're lacking uh, news as of late <laughs> with Google and, uh, and no. ethics, shall we say. But uh, I, I it's an interesting question. I feel like it's more of a human behavior question than it is a technical question, right? It's not the ones and the zeros. It all starts with the values and the things that we think are normal to us. And it might not be normal. So your example, when you're talking about men can and women can, it reminds me of my upbringing. See, I grew up in, um, in a, just a regular normal household. I went to all-girls Catholic school for 12 years. And I remember when I was little, and I believe it was first grade now, uh, my teacher gave an exam, like fill in the blanks, right, and has a picture of somebody. And it says, Dash cooks dinner. I wrote, for me, I said, father. And it was a big red cross. And, you know, my teacher was like, this is wrong. It was an exam. And I asked her, I'm like, I don't understand. Why is it wrong? This is clearly a person. And in my house, my father cooks dinner. And she said, no, because mothers cook dinner. Oh, my God. And so I got a big axe on my, and I remember I was so upset. I went home and I told my parents and I'm like, this yeah. is wrong because I'm just telling you, this is what happens. And, you know, nobody said it, it has to be a mother. But I, I think that was my, the first brush I had with, how we perceive things may not be how everyone perceives things. There's no right or wrong answer, unfortunately. Um, and, and it takes a lot. It's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, that's, it's great in a way that you've got a very, very clear, memorable uh, thing that happened to you. Because I just feel like I've only kind of recognized some of these things from when I was at school, like now in my fifties, you know, I didn't realize them at the time, you know, like I was totally, I was really rubbish at um, cooking home economics at school, but I was pushed into doing home economics as a, as an O level. And I was really interested in chemistry and I was, I was persuaded from chemistry to home economics. Um, and you know, and they didn't even put me in for the exam because I, I didn't pass the, the mock exam. So, you know, and I'm sure, you know, that was probably because I was a girl, you know, like, and at the time I had no clue that it was related to gender or, or anything. I wouldn't have realized that. So loads of this stuff is going on all the time. And we don't even realize ourselves sometimes till years later, um, mm -hmm. you know, thinking back, thinking, oh, why did I do that? Oh, well, I realize now, I realize now why that happened. But at the time, I, I didn't know why they were saying that to me. Yeah, I, I remember uh, being in engineering school. I always got told the only reason why you're here is because you're a woman and you're Chinese. And they nice. need to mix up the ratio. I'm like, oh. Oh, my God. Thank you for being so frank, literally for my entire four years in undergrad. That's what I get yeah. reminded all the time. 
and, yeah. and, and unfortunately that goes on you know like that's still going on with our young people now you know like we like to think that we're moving on and I guess in some ways we really are but in other ways you know there's still loads of bias out there loads and loads and loads and I mean one of the things I love about technology and social media even though you know loads of people hate social media because you know they see it as kind of like negative and destructive at the same time it's connecting together people so that we can see that there's people all around the world having the same kind of issues that we are you know and I just think it's amazing the whole me too movement and black lives matter before social media those people could never have connected to each other and couldn't have created that movement and that movement those movements are now changing the world that we live in Well, and you alluded to, um, Theo, earlier, what happened at Google the past couple of weeks with Tim Nguyen. And, yeah. you know, when, when we think about, you know, sort of the the bias that's getting unearthed at some of the largest companies that really impact our day, you know, that we use every day, and we think about search engines, and we think about the power of networks, the power of networks have both, you know, the ability, like you were saying, Sue, to to build up a movement and to you know, change minds and to take action, you know, to policy and to really change the world. But yeah. it also every single day has this sort of, you know, impact on our thinking and our lives. And, you know, the fact that six researchers spent time to both, you know, go through ongoing bias within the search algorithms at Google and to identify, you know, pieces around the amount of, you know, sort of energy that's being used as well. I mean, the, the complexity of this story is not necessarily the story. It's an ongoing story that continues to be unearthed one little, like, bit at a time. So bias is, is something that we just always have to sort of fight against. And, you know, kind of switching gears a bit into, you know, the, the technology and the, the movement and role of things that we talk about a lot in financial services and banking, and how technology um, can be leveraged to sort of change that industry. When it comes to serving both the underrepresented and um, just sort of more equality uh, across financial services in general, I think we could all agree that, you know, more needs to be done. So in light of the social movements that we just talked about, and then, you know, we see financial institution creating programs that are starting to address more system systemic inequalities in our societies. But do you think, you know, like an industry like banking is going to be influenced so much that they actually will start to change themselves based on everything else that's going around them? What do you, what do you think about industry's response to things like bias? I, I really hope so, because I really believe that the organizations that really take this on board and think hard about it are going to be the ones that are successful in the future um, you know because all sorts of products are being created now uh, products and services like software products and services which are affecting more and more people around the world and if your products are only fit for the purpose really for say white american males then you know they're they're not you know they're not fit for purpose for for most of the people in the world you know so i think it depends, um, I think, a lot on, you know, what you want to do as an organisation. But I really believe that having teams of people with different viewpoints, different backgrounds, different understandings of the world can only be a good thing in terms of creating products that are for people all around the world. And I think, you know, lots of um, banks, lots in the banking sector want their products to be 
fit for purpose for, for different countries, for different demographics. And so if they've got a very specific, uh, small kind of demographic of the people creating those products, then they, they aren't going to be fit for purpose, are they? And so then as a company, their products are going to fail. Yeah, I mean, when when you think about decisions that are made within banks, um, you know, you're looking at those same white males, right? They're they're making the decisions around profit and reach and market share and all the other fun stuff, and and it needs to be much more representative. Simon, what are your, what are your thoughts about you know industry and bias? Sure. Look, I think there are some organizations that literally just want to tick a box, right? But I think there are more organizations that are what I would call more human centric. Um, and I think, you know, as we see, you know, probably some of the neo banks who are probably a bit more uh, flexible and thoughtful in this space challenge the incumbents. I think generally we will see uh, the bigger players playing more in this space. Um, I know you had uh, Kurt on from Tab Bank a couple of uh, weeks ago in your podcast. That was super interesting in terms of supporting the need of truckers. I mean, I think the more we see more of those specialized and thoughtful type of banking um, setups, I think that will filter its way up into the incumbents. But I think at the moment, there's, you know, quite a few talking about it, but not a lot of them doing it. Um, I think the other thing I think in this space, and we've got to be very careful is, look, you know, I certainly count myself as coming from a privileged background, but think of the digital divide as it's called, right? There is... A lot of people, I think there was like a, a quote that said there was like 9 million people in the UK who just weren't competent to use the internet on their own. Um, and an even more shocking one that said 47% of low income uh, households didn't have broadband. So I think when we talk about products, you know, we all come from the digital age and we're all so used to it. And, you know, with our privileged entitlement, we just assume everybody can use these digital services. So I think we mustn't lose track of, you know, those underrepresented groups as well, because it's probably a lot larger than we ever think it would be. Yeah, Simon, to your point, though, um, on on neobanks and challenger banks being able to change the status quo a little bit, I I think I, I have mixed feelings about it um, because I, I don't think we lack stories about certain challenger banks that may start with an R or may not, um, or, 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 or a few other ones that, shall we say, bro culture, or probably um, saturated with a certain culture that um, seems to be repeating itself from the incumbents to startups. Um, I, I, there, all we need to do is just look at the, uh, for example, the funding with female founders in the startup space and how little it is being provided to women and how the last three years we have basically rolled back the progress that we have made. Um, the funding level for women's startups have gone back to how it was a few years ago. And now with the pandemic, especially in the United States, um, where it's affecting a lot of women, 80% of people that have left their jobs in the last month are women. It's going to take years to make up for that progress has taken us years to put women in positions. It took one pandemic to take them out. Um, I, I think it, it needs a lot of changes in our culture, in a way of thinking. It needs a lot of changes in policy to actively support women, to support working mothers, so that 
we are not torn between having to work and provide for our children. We have been doing virtual learning for the last eight months since March. And, and I feel firsthand it's impossible. You spend six hours supporting your kids because you can't ask a seven-year-old sits in front of the screens for six hours. And Brad and I, we both go through that. And so by the time you get done, it's dinner time. And then like, oh, wait, you still have a whole work of work you need to do. And now I would go back to the point of privilege. We're both very privileged to be able to do that. Not everyone can. And, and so I think to be able to change the culture for good, it needs a lot of work. It needs changes in how we perceive things and how things need to get done. It needs different pathways for people to succeed, which brings me back to tech up, tech up um, women. I, I really want to talk a little bit more about that, if we may, for, for another minute or so. What are your plans going forward? Um, how can people know more about it and how can people reach out? Well, so so our, our website is techupwomen.org um, or at techupwomen on Twitter. And um, so, you know, Tech Up Women was created really because I saw this um, real lack of pathways for women to get into technology or people from underserved backgrounds. So, you know, over the years, I've spoke to many, many people working in companies saying, oh, we really want to employ women into technical roles, but, you know, not enough women apply and then they don't get through the interview process. So we end up hiring guys all the time. Um, what's, what's the one thing that we can do uh, to change that? And the thing is, well, there's not really one thing that you can do because that's a, a multitude of issues there causing that that uh, situation. Um, so so the, there's, there's that issue that I've sort of thought about for the last 20 years probably. And then also throughout my career, I've met so many women who want to work in technology, but don't quite know how to get into technology. And there, there aren't loads of pathways, really. You know, if you see job adverts, it's always for someone with well, it's getting better. But, you know, like five years experience in C++ or whatever. Um, and so if you want to get into tech, how do you become that person? You just can't. Right. So I, I just thought, well, why don't I try and create a program which connects all these women with potential to technology companies. And so that's what Tech Up Women is really. It's a, a pathway for women with potential that are excited about technology to get into technology uh, and to get into real jobs in technology. So we brought together 15 industry partners, um, four universities and created a pathway so that we could take women uh, with degrees in any subject area into a tech career. Um, and and that's what we did. So we we created that um, course, and the industry partners said that they wanted to employ women into either agile project manager roles, business analysts, data scientists, or software developers. And so that's that's the pathway we created. That's what the program is. Um, but but you know it could have been different roles. I thought cybersecurity was going to be one of the uh, job roles, but that actually came in at number five. And we just thought we can only we can only train into four job roles. Five's a bit of a stretch. So we took the top four. Um, but, you know, it could have been any job roles in tech, really. And so we created a program bringing together, I think, bringing industry expertise together with academic expertise to create uh, a pathway, um, I think, has worked really well. And I think that's what we need more of. So, you know, we need partners to work with, but also I encourage companies in general to create their own pathways in. You know, don't say we need to hire someone for exactly this position and nothing else, you know, put together some kind of program which will help take people with lots of potential into your company. I don't see hardly any companies doing that. And there's 
so many people out there with so much potential that could work in tech. And I think I'm, I particularly care about people from underserved backgrounds because, you know, I've, I feel like I've got a lot of privilege. Um, but, you know, at some point I didn't have that much privilege. Um, and certainly many of my friends around me have had, no, you know, very little or no privilege at all um, living in uh, sort of inner city London. And I really saw and I still see that I, I'm just so lucky in so many ways. I'm lucky that I'm white. I'm lucky that I was OK. I was quite good at university stuff. Um, but what about people that aren't that end up in situations where they have, they're on a low income, you know, and they can't support themselves easily? Um, there's so many people out there with so much potential who never even get a chance uh, to get through to working in a tech career. And I think we could have people working in tech at all different levels from all different backgrounds. And that would really enrich the whole industry, as we were um, saying before. And um, I just really kind of like really want companies to to create those pathways and so we've created one and it'd be great to have partners working with us and please get in touch if you're interested but also you know i really kind of challenge all companies to start creating programs to really you know not kind of like walk the walk actually do something about it rather than um you know just uh giving a certain organization a bit of money to do something change change the culture within your organization so that it's more uh, welcoming to people from all different backgrounds and create pathways for them to come into your organisation and feel included when they get there. I like that last bit, um, to feel included. I think oftentimes people hire for quote-unquote culture fit, and I think that's dangerous because yeah. you're essentially hiring people that you think will get along well with you which most likely means people that have the exact same viewpoint, same background, yeah. same ways of thinking as yeah. you. And uh, so, right. So for those of yeah. you who are listening, um, please do get in touch with Simon and Sue. Um, we, we need a whole lot more work, a lot, a lot more work. But if we have the will to do it, I think we can change it. So for, let's, before we close up, um, 2020 has been anything but normal. I don't know what normal means anymore. Um, it has been quite a, quite a year. Um, looking forward to this new year, um, how has that pandemic in last year changed your priorities, changed your thinking, and perhaps influenced what you want to focus on this year? Sure. I mean, I, I think in my own mind, there's, you know, there's a personal way to take that. And then there's obviously the angle from tech at women. So I think my own personal view is, you know, I've been on a sabbatical from work for a year. So I think I've really learned the the joys and power of the network. And, you know, I've really enjoyed reaching out and being much more outwardly focused this year. Um, and I'm very lucky because I've, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to starting a new role within the asset management industry. So I have something nice lined up for, for next year. I think what's also interesting is from a tech at women perspective uh, i know sue and i have talked uh, you know a lot about well how has the pandemic changed things i think we're very fortunate that a large element of the training course was already provided online so for us i think the pandemic has actually opened up the possibilities of this not being you know locked to a particular region obviously time zone issues are still impactful but I think this really just opened up our horizons to say we could do more on a, on a global basis. And I think what I'm really looking forward to from a tech at WIM perspective is to see more of the impact of the program. So for me, 
Um, the real joy of running this program is seeing what the women go on to do, seeing their confidence and seeing them succeed. It's not just about how many women can you train and tick a box. It's about what they go on to do next. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's it's just, uh, it's been life changing for me. You know, I, I always wanted to run something like Tech Up Women. And, um, you know, so we had 96 women from the 100 finish the whole program and to just be part of their lives and, you know, be in a room with them sharing stories about their life. And, and you know, so many women with, with so many different kinds of difficulties along the way in terms of um, their lives in general, but also kind of doing well in the workplace and and then to see them go on to incredible success already. You know, the, the program finished at the end of January. So like just right before we went into lockdown and the aim was, you know, that everyone would get a job uh, at hopefully at the end of the program. And I think we're about 50 percent there. So about 50 percent of, um, of our women have got jobs or gone on to further study, like gone on to do a master's in computing or a Ph.D. in computing. Um, so, you know, I think that's amazingly successful and then get to get to know those women over that time and, and then see them completely blossom uh, in front of our eyes. It's, it's just been incredible. You know, we've had um, there's just some complete rock stars uh, on the program who are winning awards and setting up companies and creating apps that, that are, you know, getting on the national news and stuff because they're so exciting. So, you know, it, it's just incredible to see them. And I think you know the i guess the pandemic and being at home working for these uh well nine months now i can't believe it's nine months um has really it's, it's been interesting because i travel a lot normally so i've done a lot less traveling so i've actually had a bit of a rest in some ways which has been nice um and i think one of the things that's been good that's come out of it is helping people and organizations to see that you don't always have to be in an office nine to five to do a good job. You know, and I think I always thought that and lots of people working in tech or digital know that because we don't. Um, but lots of organizations were still, you know, like you must be in the office nine to five or, you know, like nine till seven uh, or whatever. Otherwise, you know, I don't know, the company won't run well. Um, but we now know that that's not the case. Right. And I mean, I think I knew it and lots of people in tech knew it beforehand. But lots of other companies, I think, have, have realized that now. And in fact, you know, in terms of like my teaching, I think my teaching has been better uh, during the pandemic because we're doing everything online in terms of lectures. So when I'm I'm bringing in like industry speakers to speak to our students, I've got the choice of the whole world now, not just people that can travel to Dunham University. So that's what we've been doing. You know, like our last two um, speakers uh, um, this week were both in the Bay Area uh, chatting to our students, um, you know, like really successful entrepreneurs people working in tech, chatting to our first year students. Um, and so we couldn't do that really before if our lectures were in person. So obviously there's the awful side of the pandemic, um, but at the same time, I think it's brought some opportunities and some realizations for lots of people. I, I think that's one of the, the biggest pieces. And we talked about that before we came on about, you know, sort of how our crazy travel schedules that for so many years have seen us, you know, see our friends uh, in different places rather than just down the block. Um, one of the things, you know, that I, I hope that, like you said, uh, comes out of this pandemic is that the opportunities that we have for people in their careers and their choices do not need to be tethered to a physical location. And I think each organization needs to look at the way they're hiring, who they're hiring, 
the biases that might be sort of implicit in that process. Because again, even the whole nine to five idea, you know, needs to be thrown out completely. You know, if, if banks can function, if an industry like a bank function uh, without having to necessarily have everybody working nine to five in a physical space, then any institution can. So we look forward to, to seeing you uh, in 2021 or 2022. Uh, on the road, though, again, and and in sh you know, and sharing your inspiring story on a stage uh, because that's where we first met you last year in London. And so, uh, just thank you so much for being on, and Simon as well. Continue to support this effort uh, because we both feel very, very strongly in what you're doing. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, and thank you everyone for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.